Thanks for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and follow at Church in the City. Right in Nehemiah chapter 3. It's great to see you. I'm excited for this morning. I have a message prepared. I'm full of faith that that message will bless you and encourage you. But the exciting thing is I have no idea what's about to happen. I love where we are in this series. I don't know about you, but I'm a doer. I like getting things done. I mean, I like thinking. I think a lot. At least I think I think a lot. And at least I think I think I like thinking. But I like doing more than sitting around and just thinking. If I'm doing a project, I really love it when that project is coming to end and I can see it come to fruition and I can see all that I've been working on being fully developed. It energizes me. In the same breath, a project that is just taking too long or a task that is just hanging over my head like that endless dangling, dangling carrot and I just can't get it, that really wearies me. I feel like I'm a doer. And I feel inspired this morning because this message we're going to be looking at is about doing. In Nehemiah chapter 1, we meet Nehemiah, this amazing leader. He's a cupbearer to the king. And he hears this report about Jerusalem and the state of her walls, and he hears that the people are not doing well, that the walls are broken. And he, he sees the need, and he all of a sudden reveals that he has a burden on his heart for that need. He goes to God, and he begins to pray. He begins to intercede. He begins to ask God for mercy and for help. Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 2, we we see that continue, and we see him petitioning the king. He makes the most of an opportunity that, that he has, and he petitions the king to send him to Jerusalem with this mammoth task of rebuilding these walls. And in Nehemiah chapter 3, we, we see Nehemiah has come to Jerusalem. He's inspected the walls. He's reached a place where he knows exactly what needs to be done. He's raised a team and he's, he's rallied the troops or he's rallied the inhabitants of Jerusalem and even those outside of Jerusalem to help and building begins. For a doer like me, inspired to do, this is awesome. This is like me, I felt like I could just really point us in a direction as a church and say, let's go and build something as a church. Let's get our hands dirty together. Let's go and rebuild the broken walls. And the more I prayed, the more I prepared, the more I realized that this would, yes, in some senses, be an inspiring message, at least I hope it would be, but the more I wanted to stir us to action, I realized the more God was looking at my heart and unveiling my heart and shining his light in my heart and looking at the motives I have to rebuilding the walls. And I feel he would do the same with us this morning. We live in the most beautiful city in the world. I got two amens in the, okay, there was a trial run. I, I like group participation. We live in the most beautiful city in the world. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I'm not the only one who thinks that. It's beautiful. It is rich in diversity. It is beautiful not only to look at, but because the people here are beautiful. I haven't been in another place in America where you look lost and someone asks you to offer, offers to help you find where you're going. I tried that in New York the one time and I got shouted at. This place is beautiful. But let's be honest, there's some needs. There's some needs in Chicago. There's some broken walls. 
And perhaps when you look at Jerusalem and you look at the inhabitants of Jerusalem, you, you see that they'd been living in a certain standard of living for a while that included broken walls, that included lack of security, that included something that had been like that for a long period of time. I'm sure that when they looked at those walls, when they f- were first broken down, it, it brought pain inside because they knew the glory of what they were. But time after time, day after day, those that were left behind and not taken off into exile, as they looked on those walls, perhaps the wonder and glory of what they were was lost, and they began to accept them as just, this is how it is. And as time went on, perhaps what was glorious and now no longer was glorious, but was a glorious ruins, was a glorious ruin, sorry, just happened to be a part of life and a way of living, something that we accept. And I wonder this morning how many of us have areas in our lives which once were glorious, which once were a strength and which once were a sign of security in our lives, and somehow the enemy has come and bashed them down and we find ourselves looking at these walls knowing that once upon a time, a little while ago, they were glorious, but it's been so long that this is just the way it is with my life. Perhaps that's you this morning. And God wants to rebuild some ruins in your life. Perhaps you're looking at the city and you're overwhelmed. You're looking at all the needs, all the things that we could get involved in. You're like, where do we start? Where do we rebuild the ruins? I've entitled this morning's message, Together Let's Build, Rebuild the Ruins. Together Let's Rebuild the Broken Walls. And it's going to be a stir, and I'm going to get passionate. But I love Nehemiah. It's like, He has this need, he has this burden, and then it's like he comes to God and says, God, I see this need, what do you want me to do with it? Very often when it comes to our calling and when we come to wondering what God has called us to do, we're looking for this clarion call, we're looking for the sign in heaven, this writing on the wall or this loud trumpet sound from heaven or prophets to come and proclaim, this is your future, this is the call of God. Perhaps a burning bush experience like Moses experienced. And I look at Nehemiah's call and I look at him and and I I don't see that. I see nothing spectacular about his call. What was spectacular about Nehemiah was the fruits of him responding to God in an apparent lack of a call. He saw a need, he responded, and all of a sudden he was walking in his calling. See, what I see with Nehemiah is someone who saw a need, was burdened for that need, and put that need on pause and waited from the time he hears the news till the time he petitions the king. If I'm not mistaken, it's three months. I don't know about you, but I'm that diving headfirst kind of guy. I see a need and I want to dive in and I want to just start working, start helping it, start fixing it, do what I can. I'm moved with compassion. I really am. And there's needs all around us that God wants us as the church to meet. We are still his plan A. You and me, his church, here in church in the city. Can I say that God has a plan for your life? That he has a call for your life. And that if you're not sure what it is, you should ask him and he will show that to you because he hasn't placed you in the most beautiful city in the world just to look pretty and take a valuable parking space. I'm being serious. God has something specific in mind for you to do. He has uniquely created each and every one of us and uniquely situated every single one of us for the unique and specific plans and purposes he has for us. He says that we are his workmanship, created in advance. Uh, uh, yeah, we are Christ's workmanship, and he has things created in advance for us to do. 
It's time to start building. And I love how Nehemiah, he hears this burden and then he finds himself in the presence of the Lord and he intercedes. And then three months later, he takes that opportunity. And you might say, well, maybe, maybe Nehemiah was just responding to the need and that's, I'm going to do what Nehemiah did and I'm just going to respond to needs all around me because that's what he did. But there's a beautiful verse in Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 12 that says that God actually showed Nehemiah and put something in his heart to do. When there are needs and burdens all around us, what has God put in your heart to do? See, because we can run in all directions trying to fulfill needs. Or we can see those needs. And like Nehemiah say, God, I see the need. What do you want me to do about it? And wait for him to show us. And Nehemiah sets off. There's a few things that I felt in my heart as preparing this message that I believe God wanted us to realize and understand together before we build a thing, before we step out and build something and rebuild something together. And the first thing I believe God wanted us to know was that we are anointed to rebuild the broken walls. Turn to your friend on your, next, on your left and tell him, I'm anointed to rebuild the walls. Turn to the person on the other side and say, I'm anointed to rebuild the walls. And I want you to please turn to Isaiah chapter 61. We are anointed for the task. Now, we're in Nehemiah chapter 3, and I need to tell you that we're not going to spend much time in Nehemiah chapter 3, because Nehemiah chapter 3 is actually a list of names and what they built together. If I were to summarize Nehemiah chapter 3, it would go like this. This person built this section of the wall, and next to him, this person built that section of the wall, and next to him, this person built that section of the wall, and next to him, this person built that section of the wall. The word repair is used 35 times in this chapter alone, and it means to strengthen, to encourage. Sounds a bit like prophecy to me. It implies strengthening and encouraging. And that's what they did to these walls. They strengthened them, they repaired them, and in the process encouraged one another. But that's chapter three, and we'll get to it a little later. But we need to know this morning that we are anointed. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 61. I'm going to read this all because, in actual fact, this tells us how we are to go about rebuilding the ancient ruins and what we're about to, we should be doing. We're not going to spend time on all the details except when we, get to, uh, when we get to verse 4. But let me read this. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. Let's pause. The word anointed there means, say, for example, I were to put suntan lotion on myself. I'm borrowing this analogy from King Grenfell. I would rub the suntan lotion on me and all of a sudden... You would see, if I put too much on, I'm a little white and pasty, but you'll see that I've been anointed, I've been covered. The anointing of God is God's supernatural enabling power that he gives us to get the task done. I'm going to say that again. The anointing of God is the supernatural enabling power that God gives us to get the task done. And right now, where you sit and where I'm standing, we have been anointed for the task through faith in Jesus Christ. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, you have been anointed by God to do what? Well, it says, he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. There's a lot of doing things going on here, giving us an idea of how we rebuild the ancient ruins. And provide for those who grieve in Zion. 
to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And this is where it gets exciting for me. Verse 4 says, They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. How long, how many generations has Chicago been devastated by gangsterism? How many generations has it been ruined by racism? How many generations has it been ruined by separation and segregation and faulty education? How long has it been ruined by corruption? And I could go on and I could go on and we could dig ourselves into a hole and look how big the mountain of the city is that we're in. But then we realize that, wait a minute, we have been anointed. That means God's supernatural enabling power right now is resting on us. And what has it called us to do? To rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. If you are in an area and you see it has been long devastated... Guess what? Perhaps God is asking you to ask him, God, what do you want me to do about this? Instead of waiting for a clarion call from heaven, seeing the need and saying, God, I'm going to engage this need. What do you want me to do with it? Because you've told me you've anointed me. You've given me a supernatural enabling power to get this job done. What do you want me to do about it? Like Nehemiah did. And Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem and we see the miraculous. In 52 days, the walls are rebuilt. Sorry, spoiler alert. That comes a little later. That which was impossible, that which had always been that way for so many years, all of a sudden, when someone responds to the call of God, we are anointed to rebuild the ancient ruins. What are you rebuilding at the moment? It's a great question. This is a practical, inspiring sermon, I'm hoping, but also a challenging one, because we're called to rebuild, and we're called to rebuild together. But in order for us to rebuild the ancient ruins, we need to know that God has anointed us for the task. See, very often I see people running off and saying, I need to meet this need, I need to meet that need, I need to meet this need. And you know what? There's so many needs that we can become overwhelmed. And we can respond in such a good heart, and we try in our own strength to make something happen, and we realize we're just getting tired and we're just getting burnt out. We haven't engaged the supernatural anointing of God on our lives. It's time for us to come before God and say, God, what do you want me to do about it? To wait for his empowering, to say, God, okay, I'm going for this because you've empowered me for it. The next thing we need to understand is that not only are we anointed for the task, everybody, we have his authority. We're going to read a bit in chapter 3 in a moment, but I've taken the theme of chapter 3, which is rebuilding the walls, and I'm looking at it from different angles from different scriptures. I love the fact that Nehemiah had this dream, had this vision, had this call, had this burden, but I also love the fact that when he left for Jerusalem, it wasn't his plan. God had opened the door, but God had sent him through the king. He was not his own man. He had his marching orders. He was sent by the king. He was given authority by the king. He was not his own man on his own mission. He He was a sent man on the king's mission. And the king said, restore it and rebuild it and then return. And Nehemiah goes and he has these letters from the king. And I would imagine they would have had the royal seal on them. And these letters were to, 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 to give to the leaders in, in the area because he was a, hundred, a few hundred miles away from this. How would they know that he's coming and representing the king? So he had the king's letters and they were going to provide for him. They were going to show that he had the king's authority. 
that he had been sent, that this was not his idea, that he had been sent on the king's mission. Not only did he have letters to say that he would be provided for and that he was on the king's mission, he was also sent with some soldiers and some cavalry. Isn't that beautiful? In the foreign courts of a foreign king, he's still sent with authority. You know, the more I thought about Nehemiah, the more I just can't help drawing the comparisons with Matthew chapter 18. uh, Sorry, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and 19. And what Jesus, the eternal king, does with us as his disciples. Let's read it. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and 19. It says this. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make uh, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And it goes on to say, I am with you to the very end of the age. I just can't help but draw the comparison between the two. Nehemiah is sent with authority, and he had Jesus speaking to his disciples before he ascends, and he's saying, I'm giving you authority, therefore go. Go and do what? Make disciples. What does that mean? Preach the gospel, see people saved, disciple them, baptize them, teach them to obey everything I've commanded, and I'm with you. Nehemiah had soldiers and some cavalry. We have the king above all kings who is with us and the the heavenly hosts with him, surrounding us and protecting us and going before us. And only Nehemiah had these letters and we have the promised Holy Spirit inside of us. And, And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is the promised seal of God. We don't need no foreign king's seal and letters. We have the word of God and we have his spirit sealed up in our hearts. And we have his authority. My question then is, are we going to step out in that authority? See, what what, what determines whether we step out in that authority or not is this. Whether we are sent by God and whether we are the king's men and women or whether we are our own men and women and whether we are on our own mission. If we want the anointing, the supernatural enabling power of God and we want his authority, then we need to be on his mission and we need to be sent Sent to do what? To go rebuild the broken walls. And how do we do that? We preach Jesus. We preach Jesus. Is Jesus still enough? Is he still enough? I've seen Jesus rebuild some ruins in my life. And he was more than enough to do that. I've seen Jesus rebuild the ruins in in close family members' lives. And he was more than enough for that. Then we look at the world and we look at the problems and suddenly we've got programs and suddenly we've got different things and suddenly, and they're all good things, they're all good strategies. But at the end of the day, do we still believe that the answer to the world is Jesus? See, if we believe that, then we begin to partner with the anointing of God. If we believe that, then we begin to step out in the authority of God. It's not Jesus and. And we would be tempted these days to go, Jesus and. You see, we look around at all these needs and they're overwhelming. We look around at all these needs and they're real and we look at them and we say, these are physical needs. We need help in education. We need help help in all sorts of other areas and they're physical things. But we must not forget to remember that we trace everything back to a spiritual root. When man sinned and fell away from God, a curse was brought upon the earth. 
And that was an eternal curse that it can only be purchased and can only be redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. We can apply band-aids to these solutions and we can have temporary success, but the truth is we're not changing anything unless more believers rise up and preach the gospel and make disciples wherever they go, seeing people saved so that their lives are built up, the ruins of their lives are rebuilt so that they can turn in turn go out and rebuild others' lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yes, maybe they use some programs, and maybe they, they're a part of programs at the same time, whatever that may be. But the truth is they know that it is Jesus that changes. Chicago needs revival. We need revival. We need our hearts awakened to the truth and the power of his name and the power of his word again. That we would stand while all the world is falling around us and say, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is the answer. God's been doing some amazing stuff in my heart over the last little while. And I find that I'm constantly crying. And I'm constantly crying out to God for his presence and his awakening in my life. I find at the same time he's refining me and he's he's, He's burning in my heart and he's burning things away where the world has tried to get me to think a certain way, to dull me down and to tame me down. And I've given into it for a while and, and now I'm saying, no, God, let your revival fire burn in my heart. What good is it if I come to Chicago and just live a happy existence and don't lead anyone to Jesus? I might as well be in a retirement village at the age of 34. I did not come here to just have a good time. And we're having an amazing time. I came here for you to say, use me, God. See somebody saved through my story. Burn in me so that people catch fire. Burn in me so that all they see is Jesus. They don't see Aiden, they see Jesus. And they say, I need what you've got, that eternal life that is pulsating through your veins. I'm tired of living a boring existence where my life is exactly the same as everybody else, whether they know Jesus or not. It's time to count church in the city. And a nominal Christian experience or existence is not going to see the walls rebuilt. Will you rebuild them with me? It starts by saying, God, I need your anointing. And God, I need your authority. The next thing I felt God wanted us to know this morning is that we need to put first things first. Please turn to Nehemiah chapter 3. Put first things first. Let me talk about something quickly that is, was quite profound for me this week. Eliashib, poor guy had that name, the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place. Boom. First things first. They built a sheep gate. Cool. They dedicated it. The more I delved into this, I mean, you can read Nehemiah chapter 3, and it's like name after name, and it's really cool, but it's like, what's the point? And when I stumbled upon this, it was so significant. I was like, God, you are amazing, and you hide truths in your word, and he who searches them out will find them, and will live on them, and they will sustain him. The sheep gate was the gate that was closest to the temple. The temple was the place where God dwelt by his presence. The temple was the place where worship happened. So the closest place and the quickest way to get to that temple was to come through the sheep gate. 
And these priests were saying, God, we're putting first things first. We're starting with the place of worship. We're starting with the place of sacrifice. We're starting with the place that makes it as easy as possible for people to come into your presence and worship you. They built the sheep gate. There's tremendous significance for us. And, and I'd like us to put up that slide. The first thing is this. If we can turn to that next slide. But, uh, yeah, the sheep gate symbolizes Christ, the gate, and the way to salvation. To come to the temple, you had to come through that sheep gate. It got its name because that's where they would take the animals. They were about to be slaughtered as a reminder of what God would do in covering for our sins. It represents that Christ is the only way to salvation. It symbolizes that Christ is the pure, spotless lamb that was slain. The sheep gate. Every time they look at the sheep gate, they knew that one would come. The promise of the lamb, the spotless lamb who was slain before the foundations of the earth. The one who would come and who would set them free symbolizes the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Friends, the starting point to rebuilding anything in the city is on our knees before the sheep gate saying, Jesus, even if I put my faith in you, Jesus, I'm back at the sheep gate. I'm back at you, the way, the truth, and the life, and I'm bowing before you, knowing that awakening does not come from a good idea. Awakening comes from your heart as you burn within us like we heard about those on the road to Amats. Then they dedicated it. That has significance for us as well. The word dedicate is actually the word consecrate. And that symbolizes us, consecrated and set apart for Jesus. That's you and that's me, set apart for Jesus, symbolizing the evident change in our lives. Can I ask the question, is your life any different now that you've met Jesus? Or maybe it was and the things of this world have not grown strangely dim, but they've got brighter and brighter and suddenly... Jesus is no longer the one burning in our hearts and other things are. If that is the case, we get back onto our knees. We find ourselves at the sheep gate and we say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Give me your heart for this city. I turn to you. I consecrate myself. I set myself apart for you because I know that's why you died for me, that I could be set apart and part of your family. It's time to put first things first. There's a lot more that we could say, but let's move on. The first thing, if we are to rebuild the ancient ruins, we need to know that we are anointed for the task. The second thing we need to know is that he has given us his authority. The third thing we need to know is that we need to find ourselves at the sheep gate, the gate to life. We need to put first things first. We need to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us. And the fourth thing, which is my rallying call at the end of this message, is we actually need to build together. Now we're going to read a bit about Nehemiah chapter 3, other than the sheep gates and its dedication, which I still think is absolutely profound. What I see here is a people who, who weren't caught up in their comforts, like Nehemiah, who weren't caught up in their preferences, who weren't caught up in what they wanted to do. They rallied to a call, and they built. I don't know about you, but when you think of building, I'm a musician. I'm terrible at building. I, I, I battle to knock a nail in straight. I, I, like, I battle to draw. I'm just, I'm just being honest. Like, when we do renovation stuff at our house, I'm not allowed to paint because it, it's creative. I mean, the lines go everywhere, but my wife's like, straight. I'm not gifted that way. 
And you know, I can easily hide behind that when there's a little bit of hard work to do around the house, a bit of renovating to do. Oh, babes, you know these hands, eh? I'll write your song, babes, as you do it. Power to... Ain't she sexy? I can hide behind that, but what I see in Nehemiah chapter 3 is, is people who aren't hiding, about their inadequ- hiding behind their inadequacies. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at this, for example. Verse 8. Uziel, son of Harahiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, repaired that, made repairs next to that. I, I consider goldsmith and a perfume maker to have similar sort of hands. Have you ever shaken the hand of someone in construction? It's been years and years of hard work and operating heavy tools. There's calluses, there's, there's scratches, there's marks, there's character. I always wonder what it would be like to have a back scratch. Like they just use the calluses. Just, that's just gross, you might say. But you get the picture at least. Compare that to a musician or perfumer's hand. What is the perfumer and the goldsmith doing? Building. Laying foundations. Building upon that. Not hiding behind what they can't do. See, it wasn't about what they couldn't do. It was about what needed to get done. What about this guy? And we're coming to land. Don't worry. 12. Shalom, son of Halosheh, ruler of half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next session with the help of his daughters. I kind of visualize what happened. He's, he's at the meeting. I don't think his daughters were invited because in that time, girls weren't invited to that sort of stuff. I'm glad things have changed. But he's at the meeting. He hears Nehemiah talk. And he gazes across and he sees, he sees there's a hole in the wall. And he's like, I feel called to that hole. I feel there's a burden on my life for that hole and that need. God, what do you want me to do about it? And he hears the whisper from heaven, fix it. Follow Nehemiah and get involved. And he says, how am I going to do it? And he goes home and he sees the girls doing whatever the girls did in those days. And he said, girls, put that down. Put that down. We've got something important we need to talk about. Come with me. Look at this hole in the wall. Look at this right here. This is our responsibility. And we're going to fix it. But we don't know how to. We, we're not equipped for this. It doesn't matter. His daughters helped him finish it. And I wonder if the... Are we going to invite the band up? Let's invite the band up. And as soon as you get up, you can, you can begin to play. That'll be great. And I want to end with this. Nehemiah chapter 3 is a rallying call. And we see all these people, all these people getting down and getting their hands dirty, building a wall. And I, and, and, I, and I intentionally haven't said what walls I think we need to focus on as a church community. Because I want you to go to God and say, God, what do you want me to do about the walls and the, and the wall that I see? But unfortunately, there is one negative in chapter 3. And we find that in verse 5. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. That's awesome. But their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. And that word noble it means the exalted ones. Who were the nobles? Now, in this account, you'll read about other nobles from other areas getting dirty and working this through. But these nobles from Tekoa, these aristocrats, these, these guys born into positions of privilege, born into positions of power, a predetermined place in society had been made for them the day they were born, they didn't want to build. And in ending this morning, I'd like us to assess our hearts and realize that we could be just like those nobles. The very things that stopped those nobles were pride, preferences, and privilege. What stopped them getting down was pride, and that pride says, I'm not going to do that. That's beneath me. I'm not going to do that. Preference says, 
I don't want to do that. I want to do this, so I'm going to do what I want to do. And privilege says, I'm entitled. Somebody else should be doing that for me. And we look at those nice three Ps. Is that anyone who likes? You're welcome to use them. And we, we say, well, that's not me. And then I began to apply it to my life, and, and I asked myself the question, has there ever been a time in your life in church ministry where you said, I'm not going to do that. This is below me. Or perhaps this is not what I want to do, so I'm going to do this. A ministry opportunity came across, and you were asked to get involved, and you're like, nah, I'd prefer to do this. And privilege all, I'm not doing that. I work hard during the week. I come to church, that should be done for me. And I realized this funny story back when I was a young worship leader in South Africa and youth. And uh, the youth leader came to me and, and he asked me this. He said, I really need you to lock up every Friday after youth. And you know what my response was? I was like, dude, no ways. I'm the worship guy. I'm the worship guy. There are plenty other people who can turn a key, but not plenty can turn a guitar string into music. I'm the guitar guy. And as I said that, he just looked at me because he knew God had his hand on my life and he knew that God would rebuke me and he knew that for the next season I'd be locking up. And I repented. I was full of pride. I'm not going to do that. I was full of preference. I'd rather make music to my king. I was full of privilege and entitlement. Let somebody else do that. They should open the doors for me. And God dealt with my heart. And I believe he's ministering to our hearts this morning. Every time I've been rebuked by God, it has been so gentle. I've never felt a hard-handed God rebuking me. I've always felt his whisper in my soul, and I believe he's whispering into our souls. Before we just go out and dive head on in and try and make something happen, God, we need your anointing. I wonder if we could stand to our feet. God, we need your anointing. God, we need your authority, and we know that can only happen when we put our faith in you, Jesus, and when we serve you and put you first in our lives. When we devote ourselves to you and your mission, Lord God. We need to put first things first. And this morning we do that. We repent of turning from you if we have, and we turn to you, Jesus Christ, and find ourselves at the sheep gate. A great shepherd of the sheep, pure and spotless lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world, that I might know you and have intimate communion and relationship with you. Oh God, who washed my sins away, you cleansed me in your flow, that precious blood that has washed me whiter than snow. God, where would I be without you? That you would use me to lead someone to the Lord. That you would use me. And then we need to build together. Get rid of our pride, get rid of our preferences and get rid of our prejudices and also get rid of our privileges and get down and say, God, what have you called me to do? What do you want me to do about it? Thanks again for listening. Subscribe on iTunes and visit us at churchinthecity.us. Church in the City, all of Jesus for everyone.